All right, I want to do a uh, New Year's focused message this morning. Uh, Lord willing, we'll get back to our study through Acts next Sunday morning. Ephesians chapter 4, uh, this passage was on my heart to share with you. Uh, I hope it's a, a passage that you're very familiar with, um, and I hope that everything that I will say today will be coming to your mind and heart just by way of reminder. Uh, but if not, uh, this is a passage that I would put in the list of most important passages in the New Testament in the category of one specific focus, and that has to do with concerns about our sanctification. Let me read from Ephesians 4.20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness." All right, so if you look at the Christian life from a big picture overview, there are two priorities that the Lord has for those that he identifies as his people in this present life. Two priorities and only two priorities. And I'm talking about the Lord's priorities toward us, not our priorities toward him. And those two priorities are identified by two theological terms, one of which Steve has been focused on for the last several Thursday night studies, and the other, of course, is ahead of him in his teaching and is going to be the focus of our study this morning, and that is the two terms are regeneration and sanctification. And those are the two most important things in the Lord's heart when he is concerned with his purposes for his people. The first one comes first, of course, and that's regeneration. Regeneration is simply a kind of a, a, a more complex word to describe the simplicity of the experience that we have had that brought us in to our new life in Christ. It's what we also could describe as being born again or born from above. A, a, a new beginning of a new life because the Lord has given new life to us and in doing so it's changed us made us an entirely new person at the core of who we are when you are born again you are made an entirely new person but it's at the very core the very center of who you are and it's an experience that happens in one, you know, chronologically speaking, one singular moment of your life. One spiritual nanosecond of life experience in which the Lord injects his life into what was only spiritually dead prior to that moment and forever changes that life. I was born again in February of 1979. And my life has never been the same since that moment in time. And how long will that change last for me? It will last forever and ever and ever and ever. 
but it happened in a single moment of my life. And it's critically important that I rightly understand, and you along with me, that in terms of my role in that experience of regeneration, I was in an entirely passive mode. I was regenerated and I was simply the observer and the experiencer of what happened to me. I contributed zero to that happening. It was all the Lord's doing. It was all the Lord's work. It was all a story as Spurgeon wrote an entire book on the subject, all of grace, and he's describing the initial experience of salvation. If something's all of grace, it means you contributed nothing to it happening. And it happened in a single moment of time. But I said the Lord has two priorities for us. So sadly, many believers, I I think there's probably few here that labor under this misunderstanding, but sadly many in the wider body of Christ have the perspective that everything that the Lord was after in our lives was simply to get us born again. And then that kind of puts us into a kind of a spiritual holding point for the duration of our Christian life afterwards until the Lord comes or until we die and go to be with the Lord. Regeneration is simply the necessary and essential first layer, in a sense, the first beginning point of what the Lord intends to accomplish in us during the course of this life in this world. Regeneration leads immediately to the second priority in the Lord's heart for us, and that is sanctification. I hope you know that. I hope you understand it. And sanctification defined as simply uh, we could describe it this way as the, the commitment of the Lord to cause us to grow, to grow in grace, to grow in the likeness of his son, to grow more like him, to grow spiritually into maturity. You can be born in this world as an infant, and if you never grow beyond infancy in a natural sense, you would look at that life and you would say, that, that life has never been a fulfilled life. The point of being born into this world naturally is to reach adulthood, to reach maturity, and to have some impact in the world around you. And the idea of new birth is simply that the Lord, it was a necessary and essential first step to get us to the point where we could then be sanctified because there's no point in sanctifying someone who's never been regenerated. But once someone has been regenerated, sanctification is the entire point of what that person's life is about from the point of their regeneration forward. So we could say it this way, for those of us who actually have been born again, the Lord has now got one singular priority for us. Our regeneration is behind us, and it has ongoing effect because it's forever but whatever regeneration accomplished is already accomplished and there's nothing more that you and I can contribute to that that is complete and finished in us but there's much that's incomplete and yet unfinished 
And that has everything to do with the Lord's next priority, which is to change us, to sanctify us. And the difference between regeneration and sanctification is sanctification is not a singular moment in time. Sanctification is an ongoing process, which begins exactly at the moment of regeneration and ends either at the point of your death in this world, drawing your last breath, your heart beating its last time in this world, or the Lord comes and interrupts the process that's ongoing in his people and completes that process in a single moment of his arrival into this world. So either our death or the second coming of Christ ends the process of our sanctification and the Lord, whatever was left to be done, the Lord brings it to completion in that final moment. But between regeneration and death or regeneration and the second coming, our life in Christ is defined by or measured by our sanctification and the progression we make in our sanctification. Now I emphasize that regeneration was for me, and this is true for you as well, an entirely passive experience. Again, you did nothing to contribute toward you being born again. In spite of some well-intentioned Christian leadership, teachers, pastors, scholars, um, even seminary professors who are of the mindset that we contribute something to our regeneration. The Bible does not teach that. There's not a single passage anywhere in the Bible that emphasizes that you contribute toward your own regeneration. Because you were spiritually dead and you had no life to give to yourself. It's entirely the Lord's gift. But in regards to sanctification, which is an ongoing process, the question is, do you have a part to play? in your sanctification? Do you have a responsibility for your own sanctification? Not in the sense that you're entirely in charge of your own sanctification, obviously the Lord is, but do you have a responsible, contributing responsibility to actually participate in your own sanctification and what you do or fail to do will have an impact on how fast you grow and how far you grow. And the answer to that biblically defined is yes, regeneration is passive, sanctification for the believer is active, or at least it's meant to be. So we can't, we can't look at our sanctification in the same light as we look at our regeneration. When the Lord says to us, okay, you now have new life, but I don't want you to stay in spiritual infancy. Like he described the Corinthians through Paul. This is years after they had come to know the Lord. And he wrote a letter to them in, in, a, in a somewhat firm tone and said, you know, you, I, I wanted to come to you and I wanted to write to you and I wanted to speak to you as mature believers, but I couldn't because you are acting like spiritual babies. And so I'm addressing you as spiritual babies. So the Corinthians had truly been born again, but had missed something about their responsibility to participate in their own spiritual growth in what we call sanctification. So we have an active role in our sanctification and it involves two things. It involves faith, meaning we have to attach our heart's confidence to specific 
passages and principles like the songs we were singing this morning. For instance, uh, he who began a good work in you will complete it. We were singing that song, which is based in the, in the Philippians 1 passage, where Paul uh, declares that about the Philippian believers, his confidence that the Lord had begun a good work in them and the Lord would bring it to completion. So we, we attach our faith to specific passages and principles regarding sanctification. But it also requires, of course, obedience. True progress in sanctification requires obedience. We are called to be, as James describes it, not hearers of the word only, but doers of the word. He doesn't say, don't be hearers of the word only, but let God do it all in you and for you. He makes them responsible to participate in their own progress by putting into practice in obedience the very things that God calls them to practice. Now, in this Ephesians passage, in the very first verse, and I'll reread verse 20, in verse, actually verses 20 and 21, I'll read both of those, uh, Paul uses an imagery to describe this process of sanctification, and it's a very important image. And the image is, what I'm calling, and I didn't come up with this terminology, I've read it from other commentators and I I really like the description, so I'm gonna use their description. It's what we could call being enrolled in the school of Christ. Verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Now the emphasis I want to make there is that in what I'm calling the school of Christ, Christ himself is the school that we're enrolled in. He's the teacher, the head instructor of that school. He has other instructors that he he brings along in order to help us to learn these things. Those other instructors are, for instance, what I'm doing this morning but he's the head teacher of the school and he's also the curriculum of the school. He's the object that is the focus of what we're learning. The whole idea is we are learning Christ from Christ in the school of Christ. That's what sanctification can be boiled down to. Now, what does that mean on a a very practical level? It means that sanctification is like being enrolled in a lifelong special education program. You know what special education signifies? It, when, in public school system, what, what is the special education program? People that need special help are given special instruction. And those of us who have been enrolled in the school of Christ, we need special help. And the Lord is committed to giving us that special help. And he gives us that help by taking us through specialized instruction. It's so specialized that later in, and I don't have this in the overhead notes, but later in the book of Titus, Paul describes it this way, that that the grace of God, which enters into us at the point of our regeneration, functions from that moment forward in the person and presence and influence of the Holy Spirit as a personal tutor in our lives. Meaning when the Holy Spirit comes 
to live inside of us at the moment of our salvation, he is committed to private and personal tutoring for you. That means every single day that you wake up from the point, the the day of your regeneration until the day you breathe your last breath in this world, the Holy Spirit is actively engaged in personally tutoring you. But what is the point of the lesson? What is he teaching you about? He's not just teaching you, okay, here are some random and isolated and disconnected Bible verses that are going to teach you random and disconnected and isolated principles that have no relationship to each other. Everything is all about Christ and forming, as Paul describes in the book of Galatians, forming Christ in you. That's the object of the special education program that you've been enrolled in. Now, in terms of regeneration being passive and sanctification being active, let me describe it this way. How much did it cost you to get enrolled in this school originally? What was the admission fee for you? It was zero. The Lord saved you at no cost to yourself. And at that moment, you were admitted into the school of Christ. I mean, it's... It was the school is so exclusive and the school and the and what is learned in this school is so immensely valuable that he could have charged you through the nose to get into that school. But he admitted you for free because his son, of course, paid your entire tuition. But once you're enrolled in the school, now you are redesignated as a as a committed student. And those committed students, the term that's used in the scripture to describe them is what we call disciples. Dedicated learners of a curriculum appointed by the master, not appointed by the student. And while it was free to get into this school, how much does it cost to maintain your your education on a yearly basis? The answer is it costs everything to stay in the school. It was free to get in, but it costs you everything to stay in. Because the Lord says, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to follow me, you need to learn these basic principles. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. And the cross being a symbol of it costs you everything. Meaning once you enroll as a student in this school, the Lord is essentially saying to you, there is nothing in your life that belongs to you exclusively any longer. It all belongs to me. And I can touch any of it that I want to touch and I can change any of it that I want to change And your job is to follow my lead, to receive my instruction, and to obey what I call you to obey. And that cost is immense. That cost is so great that there are many that apparently enroll in the school that don't stay very long. Or they stay for a while, and then they bail out. Just because the cost is so great to stay as a committed student to this school. Now, with that schooling imagery, 
Paul now shifts in the Ephesians passage to a second word picture. And the second word picture is important. Um, How many of you are familiar with certain special schools? Not all schools do this. But certain special schools require a school uniform for their students. That if you're going to attend this, this exclusive school, you have to, one of the rules is, you have to wear the clothes. And if you choose not to wear the clothes, they say, well, okay, you don't have to wear the clothes, but we don't have to keep you as a student either. If you're going to stay in the school, you've got to wear the clothes because it goes with the school. There's something about the clothing that's significant. And so he shifts to the school dress code starting in verse 22. But let me read the whole section again so we get the whole flow from 20 through to the end of 24. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self. This is imagery of putting off whatever clothing you happen to be wearing just before you were enrolled in the school. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self. Here, after you put off the old clothing, you, you can't wander around the school naked. That's not going to happen. So what are you going to wear if you've put off all the clothing that you were, were wearing as you were enrolled? Now you're going to have to put on the new clothes, the school-appointed clothes, the required clothing of the new school that you've been enrolled in. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So now that we're in the school, our responsibilities as a student, a committed student, a disciple of the school, which is all about learning Christ, our responsibilities really boil down to two simple phrases that'll be the focus of the rest of our study this morning. Put off and put on. And then we'll talk right toward the end about what Paul sandwiches in between those two, which is all about the renewing of the mind. Putting off and putting on. The putting off part is in verse 22. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. We need to clarify and define some terms here. First, he says, put off your old self. It's not the best translation. Put off your old self. Because in the original text, Paul doesn't use the word for self. There was a Greek word for self, but he doesn't use it here. And I, I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure why the ESV translators chose the word self, uh, but I think I know why. And that's because with all the gender sensitivity in our current culture, I think they were looking for a different word to avoid some of that gender sensitivity because the word that he chose is the word for man. It's literally this way in the original text, to put off your old man. But you understand in language how the word man, even in our language, has two different meanings. One is you can refer to man as a male individual of what we call the human race. 
But man can also be a representative term for the entire human race. What we call in, in the old days, before all the gender sensitivity started, mankind, right? Nowadays, people don't want you to say mankind because why? Well, you're leaving out women. No, that's not really the point of that word. The point of that word goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. But since they've thrown out Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, um, they want to also throw out the word mankind. But I want you to understand that Paul uses it in that way. Man as mankind. So here, when he says, put off your old man, we could use the term, put off your old person. The idea is who you used to be. It doesn't matter whether you were a female or a male. This applies equally in the exact same way to males as it does to females and females as it does to males. So when it says put off your old self, think, put off your old man, put off the person you used to be. Now, what does that mean? Put off the person you used to be. Does that mean that after being born again, because remember I'm saying this is all about sanctification which follows regeneration, which follows new birth. Does that mean that after the new birth, where the Lord has made you a new person, that somehow you could make yourself a newer person? And the idea is no, not exactly, because everything that needed to be done to make you a new person has already been done to you and for you. That's what the new birth is all about. But what he is talking about is things that belonged to who you used to be as a person before the moment of your regeneration and not continuing in those things after you've been made a new person. So what things are we talking about? We're talking about old perspectives, old opinions, old behaviors, old speech patterns, old habits, all of which were formed by the person that you used to be prior to the moment that you were actually born again. Now, the second term we need to identify is the word old. In this case, Paul chose a word which means something that's not just a little bit old. Like, um, like if you said to me, you know, what kind of computer do you have at home? And I, and I said to you, oh, I've got an old computer. How old do you think I might be referencing? I've got an old computer. Yeah five years ago, I, I think my computer's like seven years old, which in computer terms is like old. But in terms of the course of my life, it's not old in that sense. It's not like, oh yeah, I've had this computer since I was five years old. Of course, I didn't even have computers when I was five years old. But the idea being that this is a word old here, which means something that truly is ancient, not just relatively old, but it's actually really recent. This is something that's really, really old, really ancient. And it also has this connotation connected to it. It's so old that it's worn out. It's decrepit. We don't use that word decrepit too much anymore. Does everybody know what decrepit means? It means it's, it's so old that it's somewhat useless now. Like, um, you could have like a, 
an old cell phone from when the very does anybody ever remember what the original first cell phones looked like they were big bulky square things and you know like you held it up to your to your head and it was like a walkie-talkie it was just i mean even the walkie-talkies are much smaller now uh that's decrepit you might own one of those but it would be no longer useful in fact my i just had to go through the process for my 95 year old father of switching him from his old ancient decrepit cell phone to a brand new cell phone and he didn't want to switch he was just used to his cell phone he had spent years learning it he finally got comfortable with it and uh I, I had to go to him just recently and say, Dad, I've got to get you a new cell phone. And he said, I, I, I like this cell phone. I want to get rid of this cell phone. Why, why did he have to get rid of his cell phone? They turned off all of the, the radio towers for his old cell phone. His old cell phone was so old that it used radio towers that they don't even use anymore. <laughs> and so he could still hold the phone in his hand. He could still charge it he could still press the buttons but when he went to make a phone call it wouldn't connect to anybody or when he went to go on the internet it wouldn't actually find any website because it wasn't connected to those towers because they turned them off they did it in in uh, december all the uh, anybody here I, I would imagine nobody here had one an old 3g cell phone that's what his f- cell phone was so all the cell phones from january forward are only 4g and above so old here is that that extent that degree that kind of old decrepit worn out then the word put off what are we talking about it's a word picture of clothing as i was describing earlier so we are putting off old decrepit clothing and it's a spiritual word picture it's a metaphor to get us to think about our lives through a certain perspective now that we are enrolled in the school of christ the the idea is on the day that you were enrolled you came into the school wearing old worn out ancient decrepit clothing and the headmaster of the school who is christ himself looked at you and said okay i want you in my school but you can't wear those clothes in my school I remember a, f- a few years ago, I had a, uh, I had a t-shirt. I'm a big t-shirt aficionado. I had a t-shirt that I just loved. And uh, I would wear it whenever I would get home. I would take off whatever I was wearing. I'd put that t-shirt on. And I just enjoyed this one t-shirt. Why do you think I would put this one t-shirt on? And it wasn't because of something that was printed on the front. It was because it was so old. It had gone through so many washes and that it was just like soft and comfy yeah so you put i would put it on and i would just feel instantly comfortable but it started to develop holes it had gone through so many washings that the threads were so uh, you know thread bare that i started getting holes all over the shirt and sandy looked at me one day and she said you can't wear that shirt anymore even around the house it's just it's it's, it's just not right and I, you know, in my stubbornness and my, my attachment to my own comfort, I said, no, I just want to keep wearing it for a while longer, you know. So one day she, she, she went into my T-shirt drawer and when I wasn't looking and she, 
<laughs> she did what should have been done with that t-shirt, which was put it out of its misery. The idea is that there are, there are, using the imagery of clothing, there are things that we bring into the Christian life with us that should not remain with us. And the Lord makes us responsible to change our relationship to those things. Yes, the Lord's at work to change our relationship to those things, but it's his work in us which then directs us and engages us in changing our relationship to them. And he gives us this imagery of it's time to put those clothes off. It's time to take off the clothing that you wore into the school the day that you were enrolled and to leave that clothing behind. Now, I don't know what Sandy did with that shirt, but it's gone and I'll never see it again. It forever changed my relationship to that shirt. And so what is it that we're to put off? What are the old man clothes that we wear into Christ with us? We could describe it as old man ways. Old man ways are the natural and sinful ways that were comfortable to you before Christ enrolled you in his school and called you to a new life and a new standard of living, a new way of living. And those old patterns, those old ways don't fit the new life that he's given to you. Now, as examples to just help our perspective, I've linked this to the Galatians 5 passage in verses 19 through 21. I haven't listed every one of them because I just didn't have room to do that, but I've, I've listed some representative ones. And these are all things from the list of what Paul describes as the works of the flesh in Galatians 5. And there's a total of 17 things that he describes there. And then at the end of the list, he, he makes it clear that he hasn't written a complete list that there are other works of the flesh beside the 17 things that he listed. These are representative of the old ways that we are tempted to continue to wear in our behavior patterns after we come into Christ, but which now must be put away from us. Things like sexual immorality, impurity, idolatry. Idolatry, as you know, is simply allowing anything or choosing anything in your life. It doesn't matter what it is. Anything and making it more important than the Lord himself. Strife. This is argument. Conflict in relationship. Jealousy. Where you, you are so concerned for yourself that you will, you will cross lines in order to protect yourself in relationship. Fits of anger. That's somewhat self explanatory not just um, having angry attitudes in your heart but uh, so filling your heart at moments that you lose control and have outbursts or fits of anger divisions divisions are just where we in the in the strife that we encounter in relationship we get to a point where we we just disconnect from each other we form our own little camps and there's no crossing the lines once those divisions are established. Envy. Wanting, of course, what someone else has that you don't have and convincing yourself that you deserve it 
as much as, if not more than, someone else. Drunkenness. Uh, and you understand the biblical principle here is that the Lord nowhere in Scripture requires us to absolute abstinence in regards to drinking alcohol, but he does call us in every sense to never allow ourselves to cross the line and come under the influence of drinking alcohol to the point of drunkenness. Those are just representative old man ways. And then he says, put on the new man. The key word here is new. And it's a word which means not just new in time, like, okay, I'm pretty much the same as I was before. I'm just starting fresh here. But this is new in, he chooses a word in the original text that means new, but new in a new kind of thing, a new quality of thing something that's truly fresh and different than what came before. So once we put off the old clothing that we shouldn't wear any longer in the school of Christ, we're called to put on the new clothing, the clothes that go with the school. And here, the clothes that go with the school are new ways of, of, of living our life, new ways of connecting to each other and relating to each other, ways that actually represent the very nature of the headmaster of the school, who is Christ himself. And so I connected this to the other portion in Galatians 5, which we call, and Paul identifies there as the fruit of the Spirit. This is the full list of nine things. Putting on the new man ways is living your life from the point of your enrollment forward in the ways of love. And of course, this is agape love. This is not natural or normal love that others in the world do share with one another, romantic love, family love, friendship love. Not that there's anything wrong with those in their appropriate context, but this is a different kind of love. This is a God quality of love, a love that flows out of the nature of God himself and can only ever be experienced and be expressed by someone who has been born again. It's a self-sacrificial love, an other-centered love. So put on the new ways of agape love. Put on the new ways of joy. Put on the new ways of, of true peace with God and with other people in your lives, people that matter, relationships that matter. Every single relationship in your life should be, as far as it depends on you, should be a relationship of peace. You know you can't control whether someone is going to be at peace with you, but you absolutely can and should control whether you're going to be at peace with someone else. Ways of patience. This particular word emphasizes patience toward difficult and challenging people. It's easy, you know, there are certain people in your life that you have a relationship with that are just easy to get along with. Because for whatever reason, their personality doesn't rub you in exactly the wrong way. Your, your personality just fits with theirs. You don't need to exercise patience with those people, usually. But the people that are challenging, that are difficult, that do rub you in exactly the wrong way, are the people you are called to now clothe yourselves in new ways of patience toward them. 
the ways of kindness, the ways of goodness, the ways of faithfulness in every relationship of your life, the ways of gentleness, and finally, the ways of self-control. Self-control in your thoughts, self-control in your speech, and self-control in all of your behaviors and habits. Now, in between these two core responsibilities, put off the old man ways, the old man clothing, put on the new man clothing, uh, Paul inserts this third principle. Let's focus on that now in verse 23. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. I just want to, I'll just, I'll just, uh, I'll clarify this with a simple description. It means to gain a new perspective. Gain a new perspective. And what perspective should you be gaining? Of course, your, the, the goal here of the school of Christ is to gain the perspective of Christ. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind simply means to think like he thinks. To recognize that at the starting point of the school, before you've learned anything, because when you were enrolled in the school, you were born again, your life was changed, your, your personhood was changed, your heart was changed, but you still were filled with all of the old man's ways of thinking. Old man opinions, old man perspectives. And all of that needs to be changed. All of it. Every single thing that you thought, you've heard me share this before, every single thing you thought before you were born again was wrong. It's just a matter of which way was it wrong, but it was wrong. All of it was wrong. Even the idea of, I knew for a fact that two plus two equals four. That's a true principle. And I knew that principle before I was born again. But I was wrong about my knowledge of that principle. How could I be wrong if two plus two actually equals four? Because I had no idea why two plus two equaled four. But now I do. Two plus two equals four for one simple reason. God created the universe. And he created it in an orderly way. It's a universe filled with mathematics. It's a universe filled with meaning and significance and order. And so I understand now two plus two equals four because God makes two plus two equals four. Not just because randomly someone had that bright idea and I'm just parroting it since they had the bright idea. So to get your mind renewed is to get your perspectives altered and changed. Romans 12.2 is probably the best single verse on this responsibility we have to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And it is a responsibility. A big part of the progress we make in putting off the old clothes and putting on the new clothes is whether our perspective has been changed. In Romans 12.2, he says it this way, do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word conform means to be molded to fit the world around you. Meaning the society that surrounds us, the culture that surrounds us, wants you to think the way they think. Be molded to view life and your life specifically through the lens of how they view life. The problem is 
they view life in all the wrong ways. And so you live in a culture, in a society that is entirely, spiritually speaking, ignorant. And not just ignorant, but wrong. And wrong for all the wrong reasons. Wrong from a core heart of rebellion toward the one who gives true meaning to life. So rather than being molded by the society surrounding you, we are called in our discipleship in the school of Christ to be changed, to change the way we think. And the word that Paul chooses is transformed. And you're familiar with it. In the, in the original text, it's literally metamorpho. And we get our idea of, of metamorphosis, which is describing the caterpillar that weaves a cocoon around itself at a certain stage in its life cycle. And emerging from that cocoon is a, a caterpillar with wings glued to its back, right? No, it's not a caterpillar with wings glued to its back. After it emerges from the cocoon, it's different. It's no longer a caterpillar. It started as a caterpillar, but now it's a butterfly. It changes. And the change doesn't come from the outside in, it comes from the inside out. And Paul is saying that the change of our mind, the the renewal of our mind, the renovation of our mind, our perspective, our thoughts, our opinions, our ideas, is the way that God causes us to be transformed from the inside out. Once your perspective changes, it's not so difficult. It's not so challenging to put off the old clothing and to embrace and put on the new clothing because it now makes sense to you. You understand the reasoning behind it. All right, that brings us to the end of our study. For our application, just a quick review. Recognize that you have been enrolled in the school of Christ. You're in it for the rest of your life. Might as well get with the program and start making some progress. Second, commit to putting off the old patterns and habits of the old man. Don't be like I was and wear an old ratty, hole-filled t-shirt for the rest of your life. Put that that, that old clothing where it belongs. And then put on, commit to putting on the new patterns and habits that belong to the new man that are fitting for the new man. And B, this year, this is where your responsibility will come down to the practical application of what you should be doing on a daily basis to contribute toward, to participate in your own growth and increasing sanctification be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And the most immediate and direct way you can do that, it's helpful to come here on Sunday mornings, to come on Thursday nights, to hear the word of God preached, to hear the word of God explained, to hear the word of God applied to your life in the way that we're doing it together. But of course, don't limit yourself to just Sunday mornings and Thursday nights. Uh, This is a responsibility that is so great that it really requires a daily heart engagement with the word of God, which is the way that the Lord changes our minds in a truly life transforming way. All right, let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for enrolling us at no cost to ourselves in the school of Christ. I want to thank you for our regeneration. I want to thank you for the moment that you have 
entered us into your school. And I do pray for grace for every member of this body that you would enable us to make real progress in our understanding of the curriculum. It's the greatest curriculum that has ever been appointed for any student ever in history, learning Christ himself. And I pray that you would grant us all the grace that each one of us really needs in order to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and then to put off all of the old man's ways and to put on and to rejoice in the putting on of all of the new man ways that you've called us to live according to. And may it be for your glory and for your good pleasure that we make that progress in the year ahead of us. Amen. God bless everyone. Hope you can join us for fellowship.